For me to live is Christ For me to die is gain Every moment in between There'll be joy and there'll be pain I can't worry about the future Or change a thing about my past I've got this moment to believe And I'm gonna make it last I am filled To be emptied This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. walking through uh, Genesis and really talking about um, how Jesus saw those scriptures and what he learned from it, but also really just kind of focusing on the characters in the story and what they're going through. And this is, uh, today we're going to be in Genesis 15 and it's the same kind of concept. Um, this is really important because uh, Abram is, uh, is at a place where he's got to, he's got to trust a promise. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where the biggest hurts that I've had are when there was a promise that was not kept, when somebody gave me their word, and then when the chips were down, decided to do something different. Um, uh, I remember uh, different times when someone has told me that they would never do anything to hurt me and then be the instigators of pain in my life um, and I just started realizing that um, because we have that experience with human beings we're a little leery of trusting God because what if he breaks his promise what if he isn't trustworthy so we find ourselves testing him all the time and asking him to prove himself uh, and even after he does we sometimes get lost in that and so uh, the tension today really is about uh, oops, we've all been hurt by broken promises and and I think everybody deals with that and when you come to God with a broken heart believing that he's the only one who can really heal you that doesn't mean that it takes away all the doubt and worry of what if he doesn't come through and I think Abram was going through a very similar thing and so when we look at this story, it gives us a chance to see that how God reacts to us when we are still questioning his promises, even after he's shown us that he's been faithful. And so the considered question we're going to work on today um, has to do with the things that we're praying for that have not come to fruition yet, the things that we have hoped for that look like long shots, um, the things that would make our lives uh, fulfilling that have, have not happened. Um, and we're praying to God and we're asking him, where are you and can I trust you for this? So the considered question is, how long do you wait on God before you start worrying? Okay, well, like Michael said, we're going to be in Genesis 15 today. And... Last week, we learned in Genesis 14 that Abram walked in integrity. 
he won a great battle against a bunch of kings, multiple kings, I yes. should say. Yes. Um, and we and God Abram at that point knows that God has given him the victory. Mm-hmm. Um, he also was blessed over by another man, a priest of God, who intervened yeah. during a meeting between him and another king that was evil. Yeah. And said, "You have God's blessing. Mm-hmm. Don't forget it. You are called." And you are going to do great things. And so everything is going fine in Abram's life by the time we get to 15. Um, he's great, got great status, lots of servants, riches, all of those things. But if you look deep into Abram's life, there's one thing that makes his life hopeless. At this point, he does not have a child. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have an heir. And there's really no hope for the future. So if you remember, God has made him this promise that he is going to have many descendants back in chapter 13 but now Abram's getting on about the age of 85 here and that promise still has not come to be it's probably been at least 10 years since he got that promise and he's still waiting for it to come to fruition so how many of us have felt that way right when we feel blessed and know he's there but we still have an issue or issues that need a touch from the Lord Mm-hmm. And we're waiting and we're praying and we're tired of waiting yeah. and we're tired of praying for those issues. Um, but when fear lies ahead, and this is what we're going to talk about today, when fear lies ahead, remember that God will stay with you throughout the difficult times um, and that he promises you a great reward no matter how long that takes. Yeah, I, I, we, we struggle sometimes because it's so easy to believe the negative. And I, I'm just thinking there might be people out there who are, their marriages are great, but their career is suffering. Their career is great, but their kids are not in a good place. Kids are in a good place, but their marriage is suffering. There's, um, everything seems to be going fine, but I, don't, I have too much month at the end of my money. And when we have that happening, we can have so many blessings happening in our lives, but we tend to focus on the one thing that's not. And I feel like that's what Abram's done, is he's, he has gotten to a place where Everything is going exactly according to plan, except for this one thing, and it's what he can't let go of. Right. So let's see how, what, how God responds and how he responds, starting in verse 1. So sometime later, comma, right? So like I said before, he's got everything that he needs, what the world would consider successful. Yes. Right? And God has blessed him, and all these things are going on. But then it says, The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your rewards will be great. Now, the question is, why did God come to him and say, Do not be afraid? I mean, God and Abram have had multiple conversations by now. But I think there's a couple reasons why he was telling him not to be afraid. And one maybe, but it's not mentioned here, is that he is the wealthiest man in the land. God has, has blessed him abundantly, and he's beginning to wonder, I wonder if those kings that rallied against us are going to try to rally again, are going to go, you know, come against us, try to oppress us. And so, you know, there may be some fear there on his part. He's like, you know, I have all this success. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, Yes. basically, yes. right? Don't, don't we do that? Mm-hmm. Everything's going so well. The first thing we ask is, okay, how long before the bad thing happens, right? Right. But I also think that this fear could also be the fact that he doesn't think that God's going to come through with 
his promise mm -hmm. of giving him descendants. Yes. And so a lot of times that's what happens when we feel that God has told us something or promised us something, and then he hasn't fulfilled it as quickly as we want, we start to, fear starts to creep in. And fear is a very powerful emotion. Fear is important. It keeps us from the things that, that you know, to protect us. Fear can protect us. But we all know that fear can also take over. And, and, and also, I feel like fear and doubt are very much bedfellows of each other. They kind of go together. Yeah. When we start to doubt, we fear. And when we fear, we doubt. Yes. Right. And so I Absolutely. think that's where he's at right now in this and place. It, and, and God just doesn't come. If you look at some of the, um, the translations, um, he's, it, here in the NLT it says, I will protect you. What he actually says is, I will be your shield. And the idea of a shield is that you have something that's going to take the blows for you. God's saying, I'll take the blows for you. That's how I'm protecting you. I'll take those hits. Okay. Then there's, there's some question as to whether this is saying his reward is going to be great someday. Or if he's saying, if God is saying, I am your very great reward. And if he's saying, I am your very great reward, what he's saying is, I'm enough. You don't need any more from me. I'm enough. I'm going to take the blows, and I'm enough. So if you are, feel like you're lacking in something, turn to me. I'm enough. And that, I think that's important to lead us into the next passage. Right. So then starting in verse 2. But Abram replied, here's Abram's reply, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliz Eliezer. Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. So couple things, several things going on here. One is he saying, O sovereign Lord, O Lord above all lords, mm -hmm. you've blessed me, but you haven't given me this. Yeah. You promised me this, but I haven't gotten it. So he's basically complaining to the Lord, right? Yes. He's yes. saying, I don't understand why you're not answering me yet. The other thing that we see is, um, Eliezer of Damascus is a servant of the household, and it was custom back then if you did not have a son and heir to give your wealth and, and your land and your possessions to, then you usually would adopt or you would bring in or choose that most high servant then to become your heir. And what that did was protect all of your goods and your land and everything like that. So from a worldly view, from an earthly perspective, he's doing what any of us would do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like doing a last will and testament, right? <clears throat> yeah. I'm 85 years old, and I know my time is coming, so I'm going to do a last will and testament to ensure that my other children or, you know, all yeah. of my servants and everything is protected. Yes. And so from a worldly view, he's doing that. But if we're looking at this from a godly or a heavenly perspective... He's going out of God's plan. God has told him, I'm going to give you an heir and a descendant, and you're going to be able to pass that on. And Abram is like, yeah, but I'm going to fix it myself. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm uh, going to fix it myself. Kind of, he's hedging his bets. He's, okay, God, you may still do this, but just in case you don't, I'm going to take these steps. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that gets him in trouble every time. <laughs> right. Every time. 
And so what many, he's trying to do is change our perspective. God right. wants to change our perspective so that it reflects his perspective. And how many times I know, I know just this week, um, we, had, we had dinner with a couple friend of ours, friends of ours, and we hadn't sat down five minutes, and God spoke to her very clearly and basically called me out on something that I wouldn't let go of. I was trying to fix it myself and not letting God do it. You know, even though I know God has blessed us, and even I know God has shown his promise over and over again, I wouldn't let go and let God. And I was trying to fix it on my own. And kind of hit me square in the face, you know? Yeah. And then here we are studying Abram this week, and it, it just reaffirmed and validated everything she was saying to us Friday night is that, or to me, I should yeah. say, Friday night, that we need to trust in God's plan. That if he promises it, it's gonna happen, and he can do anything that we can imagine yeah. if we just trust in him. Yeah, and that that trust gets harder the longer you wait for the answer. So let's see what, how the Lord responds. Verse four, then the Lord said to him, no, comma. <laughs> Might no. be no. Period. No. <laughs> no. Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. So notice that God never shouts at Abram. He never says, you're complaining again. How dare you? I am God. Didn't we have this right? conversation last week? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's never, never anything like that. Right. He never shouts at him. He never tells him you don't have the right to complain. God understands Abram's situation in his state of mind. He sees mm -hmm. Abram's heart. Yes. He sees his mind. He sees that he's going through a rough patch. He sees that he's doubting, right? And so in the Bible, we come across a lot of people who have cried to God in their despair. Mm -hmm. David, Habakkuk, I mean, we can go mm -hmm. on and on. And as we study the Old Testament, we're going to see that where people cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, you made this promise. Lord, you've blessed me, but. Yeah. Okay? So what I take from this is it's okay to complain to God sometimes. It's okay to say, I don't understand why this is happening. Yeah. And that God, I think if you approach God with the right heart and the right, you know, I'm, I'm doubting. You know, now if you come to God and you say, well, I don't believe you, or you, you know, come at him with the wrong heart or the wrong intentions, then I think he's probably going to set you straight. He did it with, he did it with Moses. Mm -hmm. Who he made, made man's, man's mouth. mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Who made he, man's mouth. He, he, he comes <clears throat> on him pretty hard in that story. But I think it had to do with how it was said. It's kind of like your kids. You know, mm -hmm. if they complain or they ask you a question, it all is on the delivery right and how they're coming to you and I think in this instance we can see that Abram is coming to God with a heart of despair not with a heart of rebellion if that mm -hmm. makes sense yes. Yes. Um, and so we see that here and then verse 5 then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him look up into the sky and count the stars if you can that's how many descendants you will have now, something interesting here, too, that we looked at, and I mentioned this to Michael in our study together, is that he took Abram outside. He could have reminded Abram of his promise, 
and of the covenant that he made while he was still in that location. But he knew where Abram was, and he said, okay, come on. Let's go Let's outside. Go for a walk. Let's go for a walk. <clears throat> yeah. Right? And so he takes him outside. Why? Because we get so finite in our thinking, we get blinders on sometimes, like a horse. Right? And we don't see left or right, and we don't see the big picture. And so God, God sees that in Abram, and so he takes him outside to say, look up. Look up. So he looks up and he sees all the millions of stars in the sky that he can't even count, yeah. right? And Or if you go to the beach and you pick up the sands on the beach, you can't count all the grains of sand that are in your hand, let alone what's on the beach. And God is saying to him, this is my promise to you. This is what I told you, remember? Stop having the blinders on. Don't let fear, the blinder of fear and the blinder of doubt yes. block you from what you can see that I am showing you. This is my vision, okay? And so I think that's beautiful, the way that God does that, yeah. just like a father would do that with a child. Yeah, right? when, I, uh, when we were studying, um, I got this image in my head of, of having binoculars. Like, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not thinking of a person who doesn't know if God is trustworthy. I'm thinking of a person who knows God is trustworthy, but they're still having a hard time trusting them, him for that one thing. And it's like having spiritual binoculars and, and the, the great thing about binoculars is they can bring things into sharper image as you're looking at what, whatever you're looking for the problem is you have a very limited area of vision inside those binoculars and close things may be out of focus far things may be out of focus and you've got to figure them out and it'll it'll bring things closer to you or it'll push it away a little bit so that you can see it right as you see it down the road but you don't have any frame of reference to know how far it is but inside those binoculars, you are seeing more than the average person. But it is still not clear because you are still trying to be the one who sees with God's eyes. And God says, put the binoculars down and just look up. Change your perspective entirely. Look at all that I have in, in the world to give you. That's what's important. Let me be your very great reward. And once we put ourselves in that place where we stop trying to develop the thing that will make us able to see better like we have with binoculars for regular sight and we start just putting it down and trusting that whatever we can see God is good and his intentions are to be faithful right so let's see how Abram responds verse 6 and Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith so it worked in that moment, it worked. Yeah. And it was his belief in the Lord, not his actions, that made Abram right with God. Right? And so we, too, have that relationship with God by yes. trusting him. Our outward actions, um, that, that's not what makes us right with God. You know, we can donate all of the money in the world. We can do acts of service, you know, yeah. for other people. And God is asking us to do those things. Yeah right but we do all of those things out of our love for him and that is right living okay and so we're not saved our salvation doesn't come from works it comes from our belief in him and the faith that we have that he is sovereign oh sovereign lord mm -hmm. he is the sovereign god and that he is the creator of all things and that we trust in him 
Yeah. Um, and that's what Abram is showing here. He immediately believed, and because he believed, he found God's faith, his favor, yeah. right? And God saw him as righteous because of his faith. Yeah, I think it's a good place to mention Romans 4. Is mm-hmm. that okay? Mm-hmm. Paul in Romans is trying to, it's, it's basically his understanding of the gospel, especially in the first eight chapters. Um, and in chapter 4, he discusses this whole event. And one of the things he talks about is Abram, Abram doesn't do anything to be credited righteous. He believes something to be credited as, as righteousness. Not only that, but this is before the circumcision that would, that would mark him and set him apart from everyone else. It's before the law. So it, it, he didn't have a way to do everything right to be credited as righteous. He just had a sense of what was right and wrong. He was trying to follow that. And we don't know what that looked like to be under the Abrahamic covenant. But we were not, we're not at the place where the law is already given and we know what we're going to do. So what Paul's actually saying is, then why are we trying to get to heaven by following the law now? Because all the law was able to do was to prove to us our sinfulness, to prove to us our missing the mark, as we say here. And when it proves that to us, then we are in a position to say, I don't think I can do this myself, God. I need your help. And he says, believe in my son because he's going, to take, he's going to atone for you, he's going to redeem you, and he's going to bring you into right relationship with me. And if you believe that, then I'm going to credit it to you as righteousness. And so we're in the same place with Abram. Heaven is a long way away for some of us. We don't know how far, but we know that we're not expecting tomorrow to wake up dead. We're expecting to have things that we need to do next week. And as we look toward heaven, we can get to the place where, man, things are going so bad. Is God still in control? What if he's not? What if heaven isn't? And, and we can forget that that blessing has been promised to us by a faithful God who will not change what he's, what he's right. doing. And if that's the case, then we can trust him, not just for heaven, but to bring some heaven here through us. Right. So faith in God leads to right choices and right actions. That's right. So let's look at verse 7. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. So here we see God reminding him a second time. Mm -hmm. Remember what I told you. Remember the promise. Okay? Yeah, this happens a lot in in the Old Testament. I think that it's valuable for the New Testament as well. God keeps going back to, remember what I did for you? Remember what I did for you. Um, I'm the one that brought you out of Ur. I'm the one that put you in the promised land. I'm the one that gave the covenant. So now we're at this place. Trust me for this too. I can give you a son. Trust mm-hmm. me. Right. But Abram replied, again, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? So here, here I think he's switching from fear and doubt now to confirmation. Yes. He wants reassurance. He wants confirmation. And we all long for that. Yes. You know, when we are waiting for something and... Um, whether it be something that we're asking God for or whether it's something we think God is doing in our life for us or somebody else, we just, every once in a while, we're looking for that confirmation. We're looking for that reassurance. You know, and Abram, I mean, back then, they didn't have the Bible like we do to look look back on and, and remember, you know, the promises that God has given over and over to come true. And so here I think God is, is once again not angry with him because he's like, okay, let me show you then. Yeah. I've 
I've shown you by having you look up. Now I'm going to have you have show you by having you built an altar to me. Okay? So beginning in verse 9, the Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. Do you want to talk about why that's significant, the cutting of the two halves? Yeah, notice that um, God wants full-grown animals. Um, you can take this list and go forward into the law later and see that all of these animals are going to be used for sacrifice later. Um, but when they, when they split those animals, when he splits those animals, now the trail in between is filled with the blood of those animals. You've got to walk through the blood to get to the, the covenant. And I, I think it's important for us to recognize that um, every time that God makes a covenant, there is a sense of a need for blood to be shed for atonement. And he, so here is God, um, and I, I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but right. here is God moving through that himself and giving Abram a sense of, I'm going to walk through the misery and through the, through the things that, are, that have to happen so that you can have the promise of the covenant. Right. And the other thing is, is that it was tradition, and part of it is when they would do that with the animals, is that both parties would walk in between and they are witnessing, watching each other do the covenant. In other words, both parties are declaring to the witness that if either one of them breaks the covenant, they're ready to die like the animal that has been sacrificed. Yes. So it is yes. serious. Yes. Like it's hardcore. Yeah. Um, so here God is entering into a covenant with Abram again. Yeah. Right. So he's already done one covenant with him earlier, made a promise to him. And we saw um, back in a chapter where he built the first altar. Yes. Back in 12, thank you. Back in chapter 12, he built that altar. Now he's doing another covenant with him here in this and, moment. And I would say this is a, so he's not actually promising him more. What he's doing is reaffirming, revalidating, revalidating yeah. the covenant that was, that was already on the books. He didn't have to do this. He had already given his word. The reason that he goes to these lengths is because Abram needs some kind of physical representation and assurance. And sometimes when I'm praying to God, I'm like, God, I know it's, it may take you a while to give me the answer to this prayer. I just need a sign that I'm on the right path. Just give me, show me something that validates that I'm on the right path. Um, and when we do that, uh, he is so faithful to do that for us. It may not look the way we expected and it may not come from the place we wanted it to come from, but somehow he finds a way to validate and say, I'm, I'm with you, I'm moving you in the right direction, you can trust me. Right. So verse 12, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where there will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do, do not yet warrant their destruction. 
to make that a little easier to understand, I have the NIV and it says that uh, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here where the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. Yes, yes. that's right. Thank you, Margaret. Um, so, yeah, the Amorites are going to be trouble for the Israelites until there are no more Amorites. And that's important for us to see. Um, but I, I love it that he's letting them know. Th think about this. You're going to have, you're going to get this land. You're going to have descendants a number of the stars. By the way, there's going to be suffering and trial as you go through that. Um, it, God's not promising that you're not going to go through something. He already knows what you're going to go through to get to the other side. And he's letting you know, not only do you have to go through it, but I already know what's going to come next. And I know how that's going to be a blessing to you later. It's not going to feel like it while it's happening. Mm -hmm. And if we aren't careful, we can think that every bad thing that happens to us comes from God. He's trying to punish us. And that's not true. At the same time, we can get to the place where we think the only way that God can be with us is if everything that's happening to us is good. If there's something bad happening, I must be out of his will. And it may be that he's allowing for things to happen. Remember, he's got seven billion souls and they are all under his care. And he's got all of these things that he's putting in place to make sure that what he has promised you is going to come into fruition. But I've got to wait for all these pieces to be in place. And it may be that while I'm waiting, there is suffering that needs to happen. Peter talks about this a lot in his two letters, how important it is for us to recognize that if we're going to suffer, we should suffer for doing good. We should suffer for following him, not suffer for doing things that we shouldn't do, not suffer because we've turned away from God. But if there's going to be suffering, it's got to be because we're, we're right there. But the great thing is, even if we suffer because we've turned away from God, he is still faithful. Right. Paul says, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. So he is still faithful to, try to pull you out of that anyway if he's given you a promise. Mm -hmm. It should cast out fear because that's perfect love. Whatever you do, whatever you say, wherever you go, I, I love you. And I'm going to bring you through that. Mm -hmm. And whatever it takes, I'm going to bring you through that. How it happens is dependent somewhat on how obedient you are to me. How it happens is dependent somewhat on how the people around you are obedient to me. Trust, regardless of the circumstances, that I'm the one in control. Right. And the Amorites, he, he knew they were one of the nations living in Canaan. Yeah. And they probably is the one part of the, of the group that he feared, like we talked yeah. about at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So here God is saying, don't be afraid. Yes. Yes, they are there right now. But I am showing you, right, I'm outlining to you what's going to happen. So he's reassuring Abram. He's showing him. He's giving him, like, that outline of what is going to happen. Um, and don't be afraid. I'm the one in charge. Just like you said, yeah. I am sovereign yes. and I am in control. You, you called me sovereign, Lord. Now believe that I truly am mm -hmm. sovereign, Lord. Mm -hmm. That's right. So then in 17, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by 
all of the people that are listed there. <laughs> yes, well done. All the ites is all how the I usually ites. say it. All the ites. All of the ites. And this this right here is such a beautiful moment. It's it's a very intimate moment between Abram and God, and we get to see it, where God is the one who is walking through between the two animals, and He is carrying that torch of fire, and He is saying to Abram, "I got you." I gotcha. The beautiful reassurance, the beautiful um, validation that God is giving to Abram in this moment, it's really very sacred. Yeah, and we, so the NLT kind of positions it as if darkness falls on him because the sun went down. But the Hebrew tells us that there's a great darkness that descends upon him, upon Abram. So Mm -hmm. as that's happening, that great darkness, what, what does it do? If you, are, if you are not in God's presence, a great darkness can be a terrible thing. But God creates a great darkness around Abram, and then he chooses to represent himself with fire. What does fire do? It not only gives off heat, it gives off light, and that great darkness is expelled because of that. So he's saying, Abram, I know you're, right now you're in the dark. But I am the light. I am the one who's going to show you. And that fire pot going through is, is his presence. And it says that a, a torch, if you read the Hebrew, it actually is, is like the torch comes out of the oven, the little fire pot. And it was just a little portable fire pot that, that they used as nomads. And God's saying, here is my presence, but my torch is going even in front of that. And I'm the one going between the carcasses, not you. Abram didn't have to walk through the carcasses. There's, it never says that anywhere in Scripture. There are some who, who assume that he did because a covenant usually had both parties do that. Right, as a binding, right. But what God's doing is binding himself to the promise without binding Abram. And then he's letting Abram know, this is how much you can trust me. You wanted a physical representation. I am going to take this upon myself to do this thing for you. It's an incredible thing. And, and once you get the, the sense of that, bringing that into the New Testament, bringing that into the cross, bringing that into where Christ is, you didn't hang on the cross. Christ hung on the cross. You didn't get a spear to your side. Christ got the spear. You didn't have nails in your hands and feet. Christ is the one who did that. He's the one who went through the fire and rose again like we never could have on our own so that we could take a look at that physical representation and say, ah, It's a powerful image, right? He's giving him that powerful image to Abram in that moment so that when he does go through hard times, he's going to go back to that image and remember it. Yes. And say, I remember that God gave me this binding covenant, and I must remember it. Yes. It's, it's really powerful. Absolutely. Really powerful. Absolutely. And in the same way, like Michael said, God has given us a covenant of salvation. Yes. In the same way, as, and, you know, our whole series is this whole year is about taking the Old Testament and pointing towards Jesus. Yes. And in the same way, we have that image in our mind of Jesus on the cross, right? Yeah. And what he did for us. And that's that binding covenant of salvation. Yeah. And so Jesus is saying, I am your shield. I'm going to take the blows for you. And I am your very great reward. If you get nothing else, you have me, and that's for eternity, going to be enough. Covenant of salvation is the covenant made between us and God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the lamb. 
just like those animals were that were cut in half. And it literally is fulfilled when we accept Christ, repent, acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, and finally seal that commitment with water baptism. When we take those steps, that covenant is made. Um, And understand when we are in a covenant with God, it is God who gives all of the promises in our life. Right? It is to remind us that all promises will be fulfilled in our life because Jesus is the guarantee for that covenant. The Bible says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Therefore, let us trust in him for all our promises to be fulfilled. Yes. And I have an illustration that I wanted to share. So if I told the two of you or the kids, right, I'm going to give you $10,000 in cash at the end of the service if you meet us in the Life Center afterwards when we get done with our gathering, with our study, okay? You get $10,000, and you get $10,000, <laughs> and you get $10,000. Right? Now, if we told you we're going to give you guys $10,000, you all would be like, uh, y'all don't have that kind of money, and you'd have a lot of doubts, right? Like, what's the, what's the catch? And either you wouldn't go back there when we were done with our gathering, or you would head back there out of curiosity to see what we were up to because <laughs> there's no way we have $10,000, right? But if Bill Gates walked in the door of our humble little church and he walked in and sat down and said, I'm going to give all of you $10,000 after, after the gathering is done. Meet me in the fellowship hall or life center afterwards. Uh, we probably would all be like, okay, gathering's over. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go, right? Like we'd be running back there to get our $10,000, right? And the kids would be in line too, right? right? Um, why? Because we have no doubt that Bill Gates has the money. He is able. He, he is, is able, able to do it. Right. No doubt uh, you would be filled with expectation, anticipation, because you may not be able to guess at Bill Gates' motives, but you would have no doubt that Bill Gates has the ability right. to make good on his promise. Yeah, you're not only standing in line, you're thinking about how you're going to spend that money already. That's right. But if we promised you $10,000, you guys would be like, oh, okay, what is it, Monopoly money? What's going on here? <laughs> right. right. So Hebrews 6.18 says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. He can't lie. He always tells the truth. And when we have had so many promises broken by trusting in human beings, it makes it harder for us to trust him because we we don't even mean to, but we often project on him that kind of humanity that he might operate under the same rules. He doesn't. He cannot lie. He cannot promise something and take it back. He is the God who can be faithful no matter what because it is in his DNA to be faithful. It's who he is. So when he says, I am who I am, he is speaking to the fact that he is present and he is outside of time. He is always there. But he is also saying, 
don't forget that I am me and I am not you and I'm not anyone else who might have hurt you in the church. I'm not any pastor who might have gone astray. I'm not any elder who treated your family poorly. I'm not any deacon who told you that you couldn't serve in his team. Right. I'm not any church member who told you that you don't deserve to be in this, uh, in this congregation because of something that you've done. He's not any of those people. He's not that atheist who told you your God is, is full of bunk. He's not a God at all. He is just what you have, rose-colored glasses, and it doesn't matter what you believe. Um, it's just helping you through the day, and it doesn't mean anything. God is not any of those people. So don't put upon him what others have done to you. Instead, listen to his voice. I am your shield. I'll take the blows for you. I am your very great reward. Even if all else fails you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never fail you. I mean, if that is true, and it is, and we believe it, God credits it to us as righteousness. 